Hey, Leading Learning listener, if you represent a membership organization looking for ways to expand your online course catalog rapidly with high quality content, we have good news. At leadinglearning.com AMA, you can find out how to make online training from the American Management Association available to your learners. Through a partnership between AMA and Tagoras, the parent company of Leading Learning, you can give your learners access to more than 70 e-learning modules covering essential business topics ranging from leading and innovating, to managing projects effectively, to working in hybrid teams. For details on how to grow your catalog with courses from a true global leader in management training, visit leadinglearning.com AMA. If you're a leader, or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Welcome to episode 68 of the Leading Learning Podcast. We're very pleased to be talking with Jeff DeCanya, who is widely respected among association leaders for his thinking in areas like strategy and innovation. We even have a little bit of a special twist this time around because both Jeff Cobb and I did the interview with Jeff DeCanya. Before we get to the interview, though, we have a few other items to cover. First, we want to be sure to thank your membership, the sponsor for the first quarter of 2017 for the podcast episodes. Your membership's award-winning learning management system, Crowd Wisdom, provides organizations with the means to manage all of their educational content formats in one central location and also provides tools to create and deliver assessments, evaluations, and learning communities. You can find out more about your membership at yourmembership.com. As it happens, your membership is also the executive sponsor of Learning Technology Design, or LTD for short. This is our annual event specifically for professionals in the business of continuing education and professional development. We launched LTD as a very successful face-to-face event in 2016, but we're trying it out this time as a virtual event. So LTD 2017 will be completely web-based, but the goal remains the same, and that is to help attendees find new and better ways to engage learners and create lasting impact through the effective use of technology. The event will take place March 1st through 3rd, and you can get all the details at ltd.leadinglearning.com, and we really hope that you and others at your organization will consider joining us. Now, Jeff, I know before we get to the interview with Jeff DeCanya, we have at least one other item we want to mention. That's right. With this episode of the podcast, we thought we'd introduce something new. We're going to start highlighting a resource in this introductory part that uh, we feel will be of use to listeners to the Leading Learning Podcast. And we felt like one obvious place to begin would be with our Leading Learning Newsletter. Now, listeners to the podcast may or may not be aware that we actually have a Leading Learning Newsletter, but it's actually a a great complement to the podcast. We describe the the podcast as audio intelligence for the learning leader, and the newsletter we describe as inbox intelligence for the learning leader. And you can find the newsletter just by going to leadinglearning.com slash newsletter. And what this is, is, you know, Basically, once a month, we send out a a newsletter in which we have curated a set of links that uh, we have spent a great deal of time, uh, you know, reviewing resources for and and deciding what we think will actually be valuable to readers. And we do that across five domains. Those are leadership, strategy, learning, marketing, and technology. And we send one link in each of those domains that we think is, you know, particularly 
useful or thought-provoking or in you know, some way, shape, or form is going to help uh, the readers really do something to improve their learning and education business. And you know, these aren't just random things that we're coming up with. We spend a lot of time reviewing a lot of different uh, sources and, and resources for the things that we suggest. So you know, every time that lands in the inbox, it's, it's short and sweet, but we think that each of those links is powerful. And uh, sometimes we'll send out you know, announcements in between about research we're doing or other things that we think readers might uh, care about. But uh, we try to keep it to a minimum and, and just make sure that we're sending out high value with that leading learning newsletter. So you can find that again at leadinglearning.com slash newsletter. And we hope you'll consider signing up for that. Now, as you mentioned, Salisa, uh, we had the opportunity this time around on the podcast to talk with Jeff DeCanya. And, and Jeff has just really been a, a longtime presence, widely respected presence in the association world. That's right. Jeff Sakanya really is just a well-respected thinker. And what we talked about with him largely is this idea of foresight and really leadership needs to be thinking about the future rather than um, necessarily reviewing the past that's happened. And we talk specifically about the implication of foresight for learning, um, because if you want to really be thinking about the future, you've got to be open to learning new things. And then also to the implication for learning leaders. So what can it mean for your role in an organization if you are charged with leading learning? And so that's what we get to in this interview, which I think is great. And Jeff's always somebody who's you know incredibly interesting to to talk to. Um, a, a very very thoughtful guy. Somebody who has a lot of foresight himself, and he works a lot with boards. You know, which I, I think is a very interesting area within associations. Um, you know, the the idea of stewardship for boards, and you know the responsibility for that, and and, and what's now an opportunity uh, opportunity for that. You know, because boards traditionally have been, I think, mired in. Um, you know, looking at financial statements, doing traditional st- strategic planning, those sorts of things. And, you know, Jeff would like to look beyond that. Uh, he describes governing as the way he puts it, a design opportunity. So looking out at the future, he talks about, you know, learning with the future rather than simply learning about the future. So it's not about, you know, making a prediction and setting your goal and, and, and working towards that goal. It's about, you know, seeing the future as it emerges, as it evolves, having that foresight and working as a board to, you know, embrace that foresight, working as a a leader of the organization to embrace that foresight, and then certainly working as a learning professional within the organization to help set the pace for the field or industry that that you are serving. So, you know, it's always incredibly interesting to to listen to what Jeff is up to. So we'll delay no further and and go ahead and and roll this interview with Jeff DeConyo. I'm Salisa Steele, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. And today, Jeff Cobb and I are talking with Jeff DeCanya, who is Executive Advisor for Foresight First, LLC. He's an author, a speaker, a contrarian thinker, an advisor for association and nonprofits. So, Jeff, thanks for taking time to talk with us. Uh, Thank you, Salisa and Jeff. I appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to join you. And so since I just offered a very brief introduction in terms of of what you do and what you're about, would you say some more about your background and your key interests and and what you're really digging into these days? Sure. Well, I, you know, I've been in the association uh, space and I guess nonprofits as well for 25 years, Um, spent a a few of those years, first 10 of them really as a, as a staff person, various associations around the around Washington, D.C., and then for the last 15 years, 
um, have been consulting to associations, uh, a lot on innovation uh, and a lot on business model innovation in particular, uh, working a lot with, with boards and working on kind of future issues. And uh, so the first 15 years of my consulting work have been uh, you know, kind of, in some ways, kind of an extension of what I of what I did when I worked in associations. That's how it got started. And then it evolved over time, and now I'm really, you know, looking at the next 15 years of my consulting practice and and refining and focusing my my efforts a little bit. And so, Jeff, I know you've uh, kind of got some change afoot. Uh, you've been known as uh, principled innovation, or your company has for, for quite some time. But, um, but you've got a, a rebranding underway. And, uh, well, I'll let you say, what, what's the, the new name going to be, and, and what shifted you in that direction? Well, just as um, Salisa did in the introduction, it's, it's now going to be known uh, for, as Foresight First LLC. Um, and actually, February 1st is my uh, 15th. Uh, anniversary. That's the date I've used as the start date for principal innovation. And as I just mentioned, I've been thinking for really for the last couple of years uh, how I wanted the the, the, the the 15 years after the first 15, so the next 15 years, what I wanted that to look like and how I wanted it to be different. And what I've, what I've realized, I think, over the course of the last couple of years is that, you know, we've, we've reached a, a point with um, associations and nonprofit organizations, which is really it's a critical juncture. It's a critical juncture where we're seeing the kind of confluence of um, future developments um, really gaining steam, really really accelerating in pace and growing in intensity. The transformation of our society is something I talk a lot about, and that's getting to be a much more critical factor. I think it's a much um, higher stakes for associations and nonprofits in this environment. And then for their stakeholders in particular, the people that they're trying to serve, not just today, but those who are um, on their way. And we also have a, a critical issue with regard to the performance of boards, where we really need boards to step up and embrace um, their responsibility for helping their moving their organizations forward to become more thrivable um, in this environment. And so what I'm trying to do through Foresight First is is really kind of tie those two things together, to really strengthen and improve and build board performance by focusing their attention on the, the fundamental issues that their organizations are going to have to grapple with um, over the course of the next 10 years and beyond, and really focusing a lot of their work or really reorienting their work. Um, to be about foresight and learning with the future. So for me, it's an exciting opportunity. It's a new, it's a kind of a shift in direction, uh, a little bit from from what I have done over the totality of my 15 years as principal innovation. Uh, but it really feels like a, a great next act because I think it's a very necessary area of focus for for associations and nonprofit organizations. Well, and so you know, it's it's your new name, Foresight First, but it's also an attitude. And so maybe would you talk a little bit more about what that attitude means? And I know I've read at least one place where you likened it to sort of the mobile first approach that uh, organizations are taking these days. So so maybe talk a little bit about how um, Foresight First is kind of like that mobile first uh, approach and mindset. Yeah. So I think you know, mobile first really is it's a it's a mindset that says, you know, where with the with the tremendous proliferation of mobile devices, 
um, you know, of all types, obviously iPhones and, and Androids primarily, but, you know, there's so many mobile devices across the U.S., across North America, around the world, um, that for any organization that wants to be an effective player in this environment, you've really got to concentrate on how you're going to reach people on the devices that they are uh, that they are using today, and and you know the typical mobile user is is interacting with his or her device, you know perhaps several hundred times a day without even realizing it. So lots of organizations, lots of companies are choosing to say, okay, we're going to be mobile first. We're going to play in multiple areas, but we're going to really concentrate on how we're going to deliver value to our customers or clients or stakeholders via mobile device. And I think for me the the the, the analog to that with Foresight First is that, you know, because of the importance that mobile has has taken in people's attention, right, the, with a share of attention that is now devoted to mobile devices. And everyone everyone sees it every day. I mean I I, I you know every time I go out to a meeting or every time I'm um, in a room with a group, you see people, you know, during downtimes and breaks and in coffee shops, things like that. Everyone's glued to their phones, for better or for worse. And you know, we can debate that, and but that that is what's happening. And so the same sort of principle applies here: is that what we need boards to fo- to focus their attention on um, is on the issue of foresight. I think one of the challenges that we have with governing is that we are not really using the attention resources that boards bring to the table effectively by focusing their attention on things that are more retrospective in nature, uh, focusing their attention on things which they to which they often do not bring um, sufficient expertise to really be able to 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 handle them. And so, what we really need to do is say, let, let's let's take advantage of those or capitalize on those attention resources and uh, and capitalize on their ability to learn in an area where it's going to have far more impact on the future success and thrivability of the association. And so for me, that that is a, about making a shift in governing orientation to this idea of being foresight first. Um, clearly, there are going to be other things we'll have boards will have to perform, the functions will have to perform, because that's something that's still expected by um, various you know, jurisdictions, by state governments and the federal government and so on. But we are going to try to put as much of the attention uh, that boards have on the work of foresight, on what I have come to refer to as the duty of foresight. Um, and again, it, it speaks to the high-stakes environment in which our organizations are operating today and will continue to operate for the foreseeable future, that we need boards to be the ones to uh, devote their attention to this, because really they are the groups within associations and nonprofit organizations that combine the responsibility, the opportunity, and the authority to be able to move their organizations forward. The responsibilities that boards bring to the table, the opportunities created by the fact that they get together on some kind of regular basis to interact with each other, and the authority accorded them to make decisions on behalf of their organizations. So for me, this is about looking at governing as a design opportunity and shifting our way of thinking about it for the future by placing them in the position of, of really helping to guide their organizations into the future and focus a lot less of their attention and energy on things that can be handled in other ways. 
And I, I find it, um, in, in thinking about how boards, you know, typically work, Jeff, and, and just thinking of my own, you know, service on boards. I mean, I think on the one hand, boards can sometimes just not really find a focus and be all over the place. But, but I think the opposite end of that spectrum is they can become a bit fixated. You know, they've kind of got the plan. Um, they've looked out into the future. They see this one point in the future, and that's all they think about from from that point forward. But, um, but you know, the future is always shifting. And I think built into this idea of foresight, as you write about it, is the idea that it's shifting and that you have to continually learn um, and, and shift what you're doing. So can you talk a little bit about the role that learning plays in a foresight-first approach? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's really all about learning, you know, because, I, I mean, I, I believe, and I know that you guys share this view, that learning <clears throat> in many ways has, I, for, for years I've been talking about the importance of innovation, and I still believe innovation is extraordinarily important from a value creation perspective for business models, and, and certainly innovation itself is a is a process that is grounded in learning. But I, I really believe that now we've reached a point where we, you know, with with automation and the arrival of artificial intelligence uh, of various flavors, and you know, and the impact that's going to have, that we we really we really have to build our capacity for learning, and that learning has become now the central capability that organizations need to have to be able to thrive in a rapidly shifting environment, a world experiencing transformation. So we certainly have to have our boards be doing that work as well. And for me, it's really about a, a difference between you know thinking about emergence versus prediction. And I think what you're, the scenario you're describing, Jeff, is, is one where we tend to um, focus more on, okay, let's predict what the future is going to look like. That's right. why... I use the phrase learning with the future rather than learning about the future because I think the learning about the future uh, mindset is more about prediction. Let, tell me what the world's going to look like on you know January 1st, 2027, and then we can work towards that, towards that outcome rather than thinking about it as something that's going to emerge. And we can certainly look ahead, right? We can look toward what the world could look like in 2027, but we're not going to fixate on any one uh, possibility, we're going to consider a full range of possibilities and then work our way backwards to today and say, okay, now what decisions uh, are we going to make that will help us prepare for a full range of plausible futures? And that's really, and as we learn with the future by respecting the fact that it is going to emerge in its own way, I like to say in my you know sessions that the future you know, is not going to cooperate, it's not going to negotiate, and it's not going to wait for us. And so rather than trying to establish, you know, our unique prediction of what, of what the future is going to be, we need to prepare ourselves for um, understanding what, how it could unfold in a variety of ways. And that requires us to learn. And that, re- and that learning cannot be a one-off activity. It has to be a consistent practice, which is why I talk about a consistent practice of foresight. And I think the foresight process um, that I encourage boards to, to adopt is one that is all about that consistent learning and then decision-making and, and going through that over and over again. So for me, it, this is, it's crucial and, and it's, it is, it is so necessary for boards to adopt this way of, of approaching things because I think in, in, you know, and again, not just because of what I said before about their responsibility, opportunity, and authority, but because we have often created a context in which boards are not really asked to learn that much. We, we give them things to do that are not about learning necessarily. 
and or not that much learning, and, and the learning is not that deep, and it's often very shallow work that we're asking boards to do. I, I really want to see the work of governing become uh, a form of deep work uh, because we need it to be that, and, and that necessarily uh, is going to involve a lot more and richer learning on behalf of those um, those who are serving in those roles. Well, and Jeff, I think too that part of this vision for boards and what they could be doing, what they should be doing, uh, gets down to the makeup of the boards as well, right? I mean, that we sort of have to rethink um, who it is that we're looking for on boards, and rather than necessarily looking for, um, you know, experts, the folks who already know. It's more about looking for good learners, right? Absolutely. I mean, we I, I've written that we we need to really um, have insatiably curious. Um, people serving on on boards and and really I think char- the characteristics of of what we will be looking for and identifying and and nurturing directors going forward are people who bring great curiosity um, to the table and because I think that to, in order to sustain the level of investment and and to sustain the attention uh, required to this I'm focusing a lot of my conversations now on the issue of attention, you know, and, and apropos of our earlier discussion on mobile, and I, I made this point about, um, you know, we can debate whether or not mobile, our focus on, on mobile devices is good or bad. In, in many ways, it's good because we have access, I mean, we have a portal to all human knowledge, really, right? when you're carrying a, a mobile device around, a smartphone is like that. But on the other hand, it has become our primary source of distraction. And, and the primary source of fragmenting our attention. And so we need to think about ways about how we're going to overcome that fragmentation of attention. And, and again, that's why we need to have insatiably curious people because those people are going to always want to be learning and we can help them kind of focus their attention on the most important things. It's also about um, you know, having people who bring great humility to the table, people who are willing to say, you know, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know exactly what that's look what that could look like. So let's explore that, right? People who are open to the possibilities of uh, serendipity and possibilities of discovery, right? And so we need those kinds of people as well. People who are willing to to, to say things like I don't know or I'm not sure, which is not always a characteristic that you see when people are are being asked to serve um, in this capacity. We tend to value people on boards who have a lot of knowledge already, and so we don't necessarily expect them to say that they don't know. And then I think another area is really vulnerability, right? We need to have decision makers and organizations who can be empathic in their approach and who can express the vulnerability that they feel that comes with acquiring new knowledge, right, that comes with, um, with the learning process, that you know, learning is going to have an effect on you, and sometimes that effect is to create concerns and 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 fears about the implications of the things that you're learning, and to be able to express that vulnerability openly and be able to discuss it within the context of peers who understand that, um, I think is going to be I think is going to be quite crucial. And so so yes, I mean I think we're looking for directors who bring different attributes to the table. For me, you know, the, the whole notion of foresight first is a, a comprehensive way of framing 
our a governing orientation that begins with the identification and selection of directors and continues into the orientation of directors and to the development of their capacity and the way the governing process works itself, what the work is, the actual work of governing, not just when people are face-to-face, but in between those meetings, sort of in the white space, in between in-person or, or conference calls, and then also how we assess and how we evaluate the success um, of those boards. What are the metrics we're going to look for? Um, everything has to shift to line up with a, a foresight-first way of approaching things so that you know, we really want to bring a, a level, as I said before, we want to bring a level of, of depth to the work of governing, a level really transform this into a kind of deep work that ties into curiosity, but it also sort of taps into the intrinsic motivation uh, that people can bring to the table so that their learning will be something that they can sustain over time. So it's a, it's a, I think I, I like to think of it as a, as a fundamentally different way of, of approaching it than um, we have typically in, in most uh, associations and nonprofit organizations. And I'd love to hear a, a little bit more about practically what that looks like. So, I mean, let's say that, you know, you've managed to, to, to vet and, and recruit people who, you know, show this capacity for foresight and, and you've oriented them. And now, you know, you're, you're sitting in a board meeting or you're on a board call. And I know, you know, I approach those things with some preconceived notions of how they should go and, and what they're all about. Um, I mean, what's different in a foresight-driven board meeting or call or interaction in general from what you might expect in a, in a traditional board interaction? Well, I think uh, the, 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 there will probably be a lot of ways where it would be different, but I think for me the fundamental difference is that you know, what the board is going to be doing is really devoting its attention to, to the work of foresight almost exclusively, right? So rather than trying to parse it out where maybe half the time is about this, where, you know, we're going to strive to get to as close to 100% of their um, efforts as possible being devoted towards towards the future. And, the, and, and what makes that more possible today and, and will become even more possible going forward is that we have technology that can reduce the cognitive burden um, that, that boards have been asked to carry by, you know, asking them to do things with which they're not really that familiar. Many directors, for example, don't have a lot of um, past experience with uh, financial statements and um, evaluating whether or not a financial statement is 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 been prepared properly. And you know, I think we have to put in place effective controls and and make sure that we have the right processes in place. But we can also use technology to to say, okay, let, let's take a, look, a closer look at whether or not we're performing effectively on a financial basis, and, and that's going to continue. That that capacity will continue to grow going forward because, you know, more and more audits are being done um, uh, on an automated basis. Um, there is obviously going to be more um, uh, t- uh, artificial intelligence and, and algorithmic uh, capability to be able to look at um, how things are being, how documents are being prepared, that information can be reviewed that way. So we can find ways to reduce the cognitive burden that comes with serving on boards in areas that are going to be less um, critical or less will have less impact on the long-term future of the organization so that the directors can really spend most of their time engaged in conversations with one another in, in a cycle of activity that I, that I talk about as part of a a framework, foresight-first framework that I have uh, developed, and it's really all about 
a very simple, you know, three-step process, which is about sense making, meaning making, and decision making. You know, and we 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 need boards to spend um, devote their attention to making sense of issues that are unfolding in the environment. So, what are the big questions that they have to grapple with? And then, literally on a on an intellectual level, trying to make sense of what those things mean. Um, and, and understand that that perspective, bring enough information to know what it is they're talking about, and then tying that into the the meaning aspect of things. So whereas sense-making is about the intellectual component of things, the cognitive understanding, uh, meaning-making is the human aspect of things. What are the implications of any given question or issue facing our association or our, our industry or profession um, for our stakeholders? And then the final aspect is the decision-making process, right? We take our cognitive understanding, we take our human empathic understanding, and then we ask, okay, what choices should we be making today to anticipate and prepare for the implications of this issue? And, and you know, perhaps in some areas, those choices will simply be to continue the process of learning. Uh, in other areas, there may be specific actions that boards will want to take. But the fundamental point is that we're going to be working through that cycle on a consistent basis. And, you know, there are a variety of tools that, that organizations will be able to use to help them manage that process by, you know, building foresight timelines and um, using calendars to manage conversations so that staff and others can prepare. You know, I also believe that another aspect of this is really shifting primary responsibility for strategy making, um, for strategy as a process of learning, which is something I focus on a lot to other stakeholders in the organization. You know, all associations and nonprofits are trying to build relationships with um, younger stakeholders, right? And um, I believe that one of the things we can do as part of this work is really to invest in those young people um, by asking them to be the ones to be the primary drivers of strategy making for the organizations because they're the ones who are going to be most affected by that strategy over the long term. And that will, you know, under the, under the guidance and with the support of the board, um, those younger decision makers can work with staff to determine, okay, how do we develop a strategy for value creation and how do we support a business model? And the board can still still plays a very critical role in business model stewardship. But this frees up the board to really look longer term. And, and, and so everyone now is contributing in a way that makes sense to what their role is in the organization. Staff are helping to guide these processes and help with execution and younger contributors, these contributors that, again, associations and nonprofits really want to build relationships with, helping them uh, become integral to the strategy-making process and then freeing up boards to be the ones to say, okay, now we're going to look longer term and, and be the ones to make decisions that will help prepare us for that long term in the context of our own um, uh, a context of our strategy, of course, but to make sure that we're we're positioning ourselves for for whatever might come next. So it's an opportunity to really fundamentally rethink how how we've assigned these responsibilities and how best to use the capabilities that exist, not just within our organizations, but in the network relationships that associations have built out with stakeholders across. Um, different you know fields and sort of in adjacent spaces. So it's an ex- I think it's an exciting way to kind of imagine how the world could look going forward. Right, and so Jeff, you've gotten into some of the the stakeholders beyond the board and what you were just saying there in your comments. But uh, would you talk a little bit about what you see as the application or implication 
specifically for learning professionals working at associations for this foresight first attitude? Well, I think that, you know, I mean, that that, that was kind of the, the role that I had when I was an association staff person because I was working in, <clears throat> excuse me, education roles in associations for the first 10 years of my career before I went out on my own. And so I think there's a, you know, a very important role for, for learning professionals, and I, it's something that I've been advocating for a long time, and I know you guys have as well. Uh, I think it's become really crucial now for, <clears throat> for this to come to uh, into fruition, which is we really do need those who are who are serving in learning roles to be more about learning, right? To be about how can we contribute to supporting learning inside our organizations and also with stakeholders that we're trying to serve. So not just how we can we deliver effective conferences or workshops or events, but how can we really design those experiences to be about learning so that everyone can contribute to the conversation around the future of their organizations and be contributors um, to the conversations that go on inside their their own companies, right? And whether they're working in a large corporation or whether they're working in in a in a small business or whether they're working as a freelancer, you know, in the gig economy or in some way on their own, that learning capability is going to be crucial. So learning professionals have to play a, a, a fundamental role in helping that learning capability be nurtured and supported. And, and I think that there also can be very effective internal coaches, right, internal supporters of helping those who are working inside the association, their staff peers, um, other contributors who are working on strategy or, another, or contributing in other ways to the organization's work through their voluntary participation. Um, as well as with the board, right, helping the board kind of building its capacity. So I think that this is a uh, really an extraordinary opportunity for those who are uh, involved in the work of learning and who are passionate about learning, as I know both of you are and I am as well, uh, to be able to, to drive this very deep into the way their organizations operate. And it's something that I, I certainly hope can um, you know, can happen in a lot of organizations because it will be absolutely essential for that kind of support to exist internally. Well, obviously, you know, for, for an organization to learn, individuals have to learn. So everybody has to be, you know, focused on, on their own lifelong learning and how they evolve. And, and one thing we like to ask, you know, everybody who comes on uh, to the podcast, and then we want to ask you as we're starting to, to wind down here is, you know, how do you go about your own learning? Obviously, you know, you've evolved a lot over, over the years. You continue to evolve. What, what is your approach to lifelong learning and, and development? You know, that's such a great uh, question, and and I, you know, I think that I, I, I guess I, I would say that uh, when I you know described earlier that, that people need to be insatiably curious, I guess I would say that that's a fair description of of my own um, approach. You know, is that I, I I I'm always looking for information and perspectives and insights in a variety of areas. I try to look across um, you know different uh, kinds of information. I'm, I track. A tremendous number of feeds across uh, different kinds of publications, so I can see what's going on, not just in things related to management and business and organizations, but in science and technology, and trying to read outside of my own areas of capability, build my literacy in areas that are uh, beyond what I, where I've already spent a lot of my time. Um, I think you know one of the things that's been helpful to me in that regard, too, Jeff, is um, sometimes like 
I'm sure this happens with both of you when you're doing sessions for, for groups. Um, you know, I, I get introduced as an expert on this or that, and, and I try to avoid that. I usually have a conversation with people ahead of time um, and say, you know, please don't introduce me as an expert on this because for me in some ways that, that whole mindset of expertise is, is one that, that others perceive will commit you to a mental model uh, around things or a set of assumptions um, that is really the death of learning, right? So I, I prefer to refer to myself as a student, right? That I'm someone who has been spending a lot of time learning a lot of things, and I think I've learned a lot, and I know some things, and I like to share them. But you know, one of the great things about my work, and it's uh, I'm sure something that you experience as well, is I get up every day um, saying I don't know something, right? And so I'm going to go learn that, right? And um, and so every day I'm learning something new and I'm making it a point um, to ensure that there is something new coming into my head every day that I didn't know the day before. And the more that I do that, um, the more excited I get about the possibilities um, of, of this for a lot of organizations. Because if we can really move associations and nonprofits in this direction um, to a sort of foresight first perspective and they, they learn with the future in the way that I've described, um, I think that's going to um, unleash the, the passion and energy that is very much, I think, now contained within our organizations because we're so focused on just trying to manage um, the, the sort of smaller day-to-day things and we've got to find better ways to manage to get out of that and so we can unleash you know human capability um, to make our organizations position them to, to be able to thrive. So for me it's a it's an ongoing practice of you know looking around in all all 360 degrees to understand what's happening around me, consulting a lot of information, listening to a lot of different kind of people um, and, and really trying to make sense of that, go through that through that same process I described earlier of, of making sense of things, trying to understand their implications for the stakeholders that I work with, and then making decisions about how to talk about those things and bring that stuff into my into my work. And you know, a lot of it is formal. I go to, you know, I, I do ongoing development through through various activities that I've been involved in, always looking for those things. But a lot of it is informal, and it's stuff that I do just on my own um, on a daily basis. And you know, I think everyone, it's a good question. For everyone to ask themselves is, you know, how are you going to approach your own learning and, and development uh, capacity building um, in the years in the years ahead? Because as we've talked about here in this uh, conversation, it, it's very much the, the central capability that's going to determine those individuals and organizations and networks that will thrive, uh, and I think those that will struggle. So uh, yes, it's it's something that I think about uh, quite a bit. Well, I really like that idea. I'm going to start thinking of you as a, a student of foresight. Yes, definitely not an expert. That's, uh, that's great. And, and so, Jeff, just as we're wrapping up here, you know, if listeners do want to find out more about you, about Foresight First, connect with you, where should they look? So the Foresight First website is uh, foresightfirst.io. And um, you can learn more about Foresight First uh, there, and there's ways to contact me there. One of the things I'm trying to do is move away from kind of an email first approach to things. So there'll be other ways you can contact me there and through, including through, um, through a chat link, which will be chat.center slash foresight first. And then I'll also be on Twitter, uh, of course, and I'll be on other social media platforms, but Twitter is going to be a, a primary place. And the handle at Twitter is at duty of foresight. Um, so those will be some places you can learn more and, uh, get more information about, uh, things that I'm doing and, um, and ways that, uh, 
um, their organizations can uh, can benefit from a different way of approaching things. Well, great. Thanks so much for taking time to talk with us today, Jeff. No, it's my pleasure. I appreciate the conversation. That wraps up our interview with Jeff DeCanya. As we're exiting, we want to say thanks to your membership for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. You can find out more about your membership at yourmembership.com. We also want to again mention Learning Technology Design, the annual event specifically for professionals in the business of continuing education and professional development. You can get details and register at ltd.leadinglearning.com. And if you do that before the end of January, you can get the preferred rate, which is $100 off of the full rate. To get show notes for this episode, just go to leadinglearning.com, episode 68. While you're there, you'll also see various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of Leading Learning, we'd be truly grateful if you would subscribe. We would also be truly grateful if you'd take just a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. To do that, you can go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes, and we'd really appreciate this because it makes a world of difference in helping others find the podcast. Finally, consider telling others about the podcast. You can send out a tweet just by going to leadinglearning.com slash share, or if you're not into tweeting, you can take the text there and put it into any other social network of your choice. That might be LinkedIn, it might be Facebook, but whatever it is, help us to share the good word about the podcast. So thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.